This morning, I am going to read to you the passage of scripture from which we will get our thought um, for today as we continue to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. It's found in Matthew chapter 20, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 16, the parable of the vineyard and the laborers, or the workers and the wages, depending on the version that we have. Jesus continued the question of who will get to heaven is like a farmer who went down to the marketplace about six o'clock in the morning to find some men looking for work. When he found some, he made them an offer. He would pay them a silver coin, the normal day's wage. When they agreed to send, he sent them into his vineyard to work. The day wore on, and about nine o'clock, the farmer realized he needed more workers to be, so he went back to the marketplace. When he found men standing there looking for work, he said to them, come work for me, and if you're willing to trust me, I'll pay you a fair wage. They agreed, so he hired them and sent them out to work. Soon the farmer realized that he needed even more workers. So at noon, he went back to the marketplace, then again at three o'clock in the afternoon. Each time, men were standing there looking for work. And they all agreed to trust the farmer for their wages. As late as five o'clock, the, the farmer picked up some extra men and finished the harvesting before dark. He asked those standing there, have you been out of work all day? They said, yes. We have been going around from farm to farm all day looking for work, but no one needed us. So we decided to come here to the marketplace, hoping to pick up for at least a few hours of work before it's dark. The farmer said, you are hired. Come and work for me. And when we finish today's harvest, I, I'll pay you fair wages. They gladly went to work. In the evening, when the harvesting was done, the farmer said to his supervisor, call the men together so I can pay them. Let's begin with those who I hired last. The men he had picked up at five o'clock lined up first, and when they came up to the to pay table, the owner asked them, gave them a silver coin, a full day's wage, as he was promised, the first one he hired. At first, the men who had been hired at six o'clock in the morning became very excited. They reasoned that since they had worked all day, they should get proportionately more. But when they came up to the pay table, 
and got a silver coin, the same as the others who were, they were angry. They complained to the farmer and accused him of unfair labor practices. They said, some of these men worked only a few hours and you paid them a full day's wage, the same amount you gave us. But we worked through the hottest part of the day and now we get the same as they, those who do that, and he's, that's unfair. The farmer answered, friends, how did you figure I was being unfair? Didn't you agree to do a full day's work for a silver coin? Take your pay and go home. Just be glad someone hired you today. I decided to pay all of the workers a full day's wage. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Why do you think it's wrong for me to pay them what I want? Are you just because I am generous? That's the way it is. it will be when God's harvest end. The last will be first and the first will be last. Some of God's workers gladly do what they can with no thought of pay. Others work very hard for God, but think only of what's in it for them. And so today, as I read that passage of scripture, at first glance, um, some may even be tempted to think that this passage of scripture, we are going to be talking about um, wages today from our employers and the unfairness that sometimes exhibit in the workplace. Many have had the experience of giving their best in the workplace and in the end, they watch as others receive higher wages than themselves with less experience, less dedication, they feel passed over for promotion while others who are less qualified and has no good work ethics get moved up and pass them by. And even some are experiencing Sabbath off issues. Despite laws on the local and federal level, there are many who experience unfairness in the workplace. While this passage of scripture is not written specifically with this type of vineyard in mind, the Holy Scripture can be applied to many of life's practical situation. This passage of scripture is one of that that I use personally when I see unfairness in the working environment. The Lord reminds me, I agreed for a penny and that I should work honestly and diligently for that penny. Then I should give him a faithful tithe and offering and trust him to bless the rest. Sometimes 
the Lord may have you where you are for different reasons than just finance. And so each of us need to prayerfully seek the Lord's guidance as to which way to go with situations like this. Let's keep in mind someone like Jacob. Now Jacob was faced with an unfairness of his boss Laban, his uncle. He made him work twice the hours for what they agreed on in Genesis 29, verse 15, 25, and 27. You know, Laban's investment grew because Jacob, number one, he had good work ethics, and number two, he was blessed of God. So everything he touched was blessed and prospered. So let's imagine with me that Laban worked 10 hours per day for five days per week for seven years. He was to work 15,600 hours, but he ended up working double that amount. So there was a great profit for labor, um, Laban for Jacob working with him. But Jacob didn't want to do this forever. He recognized that that was not God's plan for his life. So he cut a deal with his uncle in Genesis 30 and verse 16. As his uncle, uncle tried to negotiate for him to stay on longer, and my business is growing, stay on longer. But what that meant to Jacob, that he'd be captain salary, that he couldn't grow any more than his uncle's salary. And so Laban told his uncle, I don't need a job anymore. What I want is partnership in the business. I want to be an entrepreneur to organize and operate his own business and take his own financial risk and responsibility. So entrepreneurship may be an option for some of us who are going through difficult times on our job. Maybe God is calling us to do that. But I would advise that we should seek counsel and make sure that we are following the right steps because I've learned of many who have fail in that area because, you know, we don't, we're not disciplined enough or we're not organized enough to get that business going the way it should go so that eventually it will be a profitable business. So sometimes seemingly unfair situation may be the Lord's way of saying to someone, go back to school, increase your skill, or prepare for another opportunity or a new experience. Now I want to um, talk about someone that I know personally in this church who many years ago um, was in a situation with their job where it was very difficult. Sometimes they would only give her certain days per week so she really couldn't plan her financial life as she should. And you know, when we looked at that person, we realized that they had so much 
qualifications and so much potential, but here they were suffering under this particular job. They had Sabbath off problems. They had not enough hours to work problem. And I remember the prayer group and all those who cared rallying around this person and praying that God will give a breakthrough. And eventually, that individual did find another job that was more suited to who she really was. And God blessed very much, and she had Sabbath off, and all of those things were going for her. And then added to that, the Lord showed her that she could also go back to school and even do better. And so she did. And she graduate, graduated a few months ago with um, a master's degree in marriage and family therapist. That individual, I think her name is Diane. And we say to God be the glory for taking her each step of the way. And this is what happens sometimes as Christians. We can't look at things the, world, the way the world look at it. We have to ask God, what are you saying to me because of these problems that I'm having? Is it time to move? Is it time to stay? Is it time to grow as a person? Where do you want me? And God will definitely show us what to do. The one thing the Lord does not encourage is laziness. In Proverbs 20, verse 4, it says, A lazy farmer who does not plow in the spring will look for harvest and find nothing. Don't do the minimum. Whatever you do, don't do the minimum. Do your best at whatever it is you find your hands to do. Do your best. So instead, follow what the proverb says. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Commit whatever it is that you plan to do. However, I just wanted to say that this is not what we're really here to talk about. I just wanted to share that little part of the workforce and how God can use us. So Matthew 20 and verse 16 is what we want to focus on. But this was a response from Jesus to his disciple and their understanding of fairness and goodness. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 16, is Jesus' reaction to something that happened in Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus was so concerned about how his disciples felt about a situation that he had to find a way to make this clearer to, him, to them who he is and what his plan of salvation is, is, and to show them his amazing grace that would pass down not to, only to them, but to all of us today can experience this same amazing grace. So a parable is really a mirror by which truth can be seen. 
it is not truth in itself, but it's, it's a way to illustrate and to make something clearer. So I want to go back to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, starting at verse 16. The story there that Jesus was reacting to was the story of the rich young ruler. A rich young man came to Jesus in crying, what can I do to be assured of eternal life? We all, most of us may know this story. Jesus told him to keep the commandments. He asked which one? There was the ceremonial law and there were other laws that they kept, but Jesus was very specific. He said to him, the, the one that says thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, thou shall not murder, which one is that? Which of the which commandment, which of the laws tell us to not to kill, not to steal, not to murder? The Ten Commandments, right? And so Jesus was telling them that, telling him, keep the commandment. But he said to Jesus, Jesus, I got this. I've been doing that since I was very young. I've kept the commandment. But I, there is still something lacking in me. Something is missing. What is it? He came to Jesus because he knew that he had a need. And he didn't want to be lost. And verse 21 and verse 22 tells us that Jesus answered with great compassion. If you want to have a more perfect walk with God, you need to sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. But the young man turned away because he was very rich. Rich. What was missing in this young man's life? You know, there are things in this life or in our lives that God really wants to point out to us so that we can have eternal life. And sometimes we ask the question, but we are not really ready for the answer. You know, he didn't mind keeping the Sabbath. He didn't mind being obedient to his parents. He convinced himself that he was an honest businessman. You know, he paid fair wages to his workers. He treated his employees with respect. He's a Jew, Jew. he keeps the Sabbath, he does all of these things. And so he's thinking, I'm faithful in tithe and offering. So from all outward appearance, he seems good in the sight of everyone else. But for him, he knew that there was an emptiness inside of him he knew that there was something lacking in his experience. He needed to be totally surrendered to God. When, when Jesus told him to keep the commandment, it was the same as saying to him, sell all you have and give to the poor. Because if you really keep the commandments of God, they are really a reflection of who God is. 
because the commandment is good and the law is good. The commandment is perfect and the law is perfect. The commandment is spiritual and God is spiritual. The commandment is righteous and God is righteous. And Jesus says that upon loving God and loving our fellow men hang all the laws and the prophets. So when Jesus said to him, keep the commandment, he was saying to him, love me more than anything in this world. Love people and treat them better than anything in this world. So it was the same command, the same thing that Jesus was saying to him. But he had to say it a different way. And when he got it, he understood that this call for total commitment, this call for total surrender, it was just too much for him. And he went away sorrowful because he had much. He came face to face with what was missing, but he chose rather to go his own way. I think of the young man coming to Jesus and saying to Jesus, you know, I've thought about this, but I decide what I have decided. Let me tell you what he decided. He decided that he loved a little portion of land, a little bit of investment, a little bit of finances over Jesus who has the whole world, everything in it. Even what he had was God's. And that he failed to see. And so he chose something that is so small and insignificant at the end over all that Jesus had to offer him. He walked away from eternal life. The Bible doesn't even record his name. You know, when you turn away from God, your life becomes very meaningless. Only in God is there purpose and meaning in your life. You know, keeping the law was part, was not a part of his being. It was a part of his doing. It's something he did externally, but the connection between the law and the, didn't reach his heart. His heart was not touched. It wasn't connected in a way that would make him give that total surrender that he needed to give. As Jesus is calling the rich young ruler to a totally committed life, the disciples were sitting there listening and perhaps examining their own lives. They had given all to follow him. Remember, you tell them, leave everything and I'll make you fishers of men. The same thing that he was telling this young ruler. And so, Self was beginning to take over the throne of the hearts of the disciples by now. They were power hungry. They all wanted to be first place in his kingdom because they thought he was setting up an, an earthly kingdom. 
They wanted to sit at the right and the left of him when he came and set up his kingdom. And so what happens to us sometimes is that we surrender our lives to Jesus. And if we're not careful, we allow Satan to come back in and set up another set of um, sin problems that we have. And so we have to now go back to Jesus and ask him, what is it that I lack today? You can't afford to count on yesterday and last year's lack. It's not sufficient because each day, Satan takes the opportunity to bombard us and to give us new ideas that we would self would draw us away from God. And so we need to examine ourselves. And I think at this point, the disciples begin to examine themselves and they saw that they had a problem. There was a lack in their life also. You see, knowledge of God's word is good. It's good to know the word of God. Obeying God's word is even better. But giving our all to Jesus and allowing nothing to come between us and be in total obedience and surrender to him is the best. He had the form of godliness, but lacked the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out God's plan in his life. But before we get too hard on this young man, let's remember that this call has been given to all of us. If we were to have a testimony service today, many can testify that there was a time in their life when they felt this spiritual lack. Nothing, knowing something is missing and only through the knowledge of Jesus and through his grace were we able to face the face, see what that lack is and ask Jesus to get rid of it out of our lives. Even today in the sound of my voice, even here in our assembly as we worship here and online, there are many who are struggling with this lack. Some are on the verge of making that decision for or against eternity. And yet there are others who plan to put it off for more time. Time does not belong to us, brothers and sisters. The time is now. Yes, like I said, there's so many ways Satan set us up to make the wrong choice. Any object, any person, any ideology, any theology we put before God can be a deterrent to our salvation. Jesus saw potential in this young man. His request was sincere, and Jesus was moved with compassion and bid him to sell all he have, give to the poor, and come follow me. You know, I've read this story many times, but this is the first time that I've noticed that Jesus called this young man to be with him just like he called Peter and James and John. He was to be one of the disciples. I never saw that before. But he rejected the opportunity to learn at Jesus' feet. You know, in the book Christian Service, 
by E.G. White, she penned these words. Jesus saw him as one who might be, be, do service as a, as a prescriber of righteousness. But first, he must accept the condition of discipleship, and that is total surrender to the will of the Lord. So Jesus asks the same of him as he asked of Peter, as he asked of John, as he asked of Matthew, forsake all and follow me. And the most importantly, he, Jesus, was asking the rich young ruler to do the same thing that he, Jesus, did. What did Jesus do? 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 says, we have told you how gracious and kind the Lord Jesus is, even through, the, through all the, he owned all the whole world and had all riches at his disposal, yet for our sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty can become rich. He gave it all up. So what he was asking the wrong young ruler for is what he himself has done for him and for us. He doesn't ask of us anything that is not good for us. He only asks us to give up what he know would hinder us from coming closer to him and finishing the work. You know, Jesus wanted this young ruler to have an all-in attitude. I'm all in, Lord. Everything, this is what I lack, all in. And Jesus is calling upon us today to have that same all-in attitude that there is nothing in this world that is more important than doing the will of God. Sometimes we may wonder how the creator of the universe could invite this young man to come to be a part of a special inner circle of friends to learn at his feet, to grow and to learn the deeper things of God, to be able to ask him any question of, of any kind so that he can grow and understand the will of God. And for that young man to say, no thanks. I have a few properties I need to develop. I need to develop my investment in my business. I'm just taking off with this important business. Yet men and women, boys and girls, make this decision each day. It's called a plan of salvation that's offered every day. Some accept it and some reject it. And so after we accept the plan of salvation, he even calls us again into a deeper and more complete surrender. It's not enough to just accept Jesus as Savior. You see, the disciples accept him. They lived with him. But you can see here that Jesus is calling them now into a deeper relationship with him. And so we have to live surrendered lives. The past surrender is not enough. We have to continue 
to surrender. And so every day, Jesus offers us his grace. And he offers us in abundance. And he, he just wants us to come to him as we are. And he wants to point out what it is that is hindering us from this spiritual growth. And if we accept that, we become his. We want to choose today to worship our creator. We want to say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the decision that we want to make today. You know, the culture of their time believed that riches is a sign of goodness. And poverty and sickness are signs of a sinner. So for example, in John 9, verse 1 and 2, you know, when Jesus was healing the blind man, he, even his disciples asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus had to tell them neither of them sinned because they just were so sure that poverty and sickness are identified with sin and riches are in, identified with, Jesus, with um, money. And so you can understand why when Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler and he walks away, the disciples are wondering what happened because he has the qualification for goodness. He has money. So why is he walking away from Jesus? That really turned their mind upside down. But you will see as we go on in 23 to 30 that Peter, the spokesperson, he just couldn't keep quiet. You know, it showed where they were in their Christian experience at that time. We see that it's revealed here that the disciples were wrapped up in the culture of the time. They still believe in the culture of the time that says good means, money means blessing, lack of it means curse. They believe those who are rich was a result of their goodness. And so they really had a problem with this scenario that they were faced with. And so we realize that Jesus came to show us that no matter who you are, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, that he is offering the same to all of us, this amazing grace that is free to all of us. And this is what he wanted to show his disciples and to leave for us today to see that he loves us, no matter who we are, no matter what nationality, no matter what color, what creed we are, our status in life, as long as we come to Jesus, he says he has the same for us, his amazing grace. And so we need, the rich man need to recognize that he's a sinner like the poor man. He needs to know that his money cannot save him, that you cannot buy your way into heaven. 
and that at the feet of the cross, we are all equal. And this is the message that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. But they thought something else. They thought that the more sacrifice you made for God is the greater reward they had in heaven. They thought, well, they have left all to follow Jesus, so in their mind, they should have more of the rewards of heaven than others who came after them. And so Jesus wanted to show them that, that is, this is not how the kingdom of heaven works. And so that's why we have the parable of Matthew 20 and verse 16. So now we are back to Matthew 20, verse 16. We know why Jesus had to um, tell them this parable now, because, the, the, because of the rich young ruler and him refusing to accept eternal life and for them thinking that he's rich. And, and, and Jesus went on to say, you know, the, the, the um, rich man scarcely can be saved, but it's possible with me. And so the disciples are totally confused and just beside themselves as to what is going on. So Jesus said, let me break it down to you what's going on. And he told them this story, as I read before, about the farmer who called workers into his vineyard. I want you to remember that when he started calling workers into his vineyard, the first set of workers that he called, he negotiated with them for a certain amount. I don't know if you saw that. They had a negotiated rate, those that came at 6 a.m. But from 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., Jesus said to them, if you come and work for me, I'll be fair to you. He never gave them a negotiated rate. You see, these were the disciples, and these were the first call to do the work of God and the ministry as Jesus was here on earth. And so Jesus told them, come, I'll make you fishers of men, I will have you sit on the 12 thrones um, of judgment when I come. And he may, he, they negotiated. So they know. Jesus said, if you leave mother and father and all follow me, you will never regret it. I will bless you a hundredfold. And they had all of that. But the guy who came at 9 o'clock, he realized that he was late for the job. The, the others are working there. He just wanted to be rewarded for his work. And so he trusted the farmer to give whatever is fair. It's okay, whatever is fair. And that represents us today. This is where we come into the plan of salvation. We weren't there when it all started. And we, we, we don't care if we sit at at the throne and judge. And we don't care of all of these things. All we want is the grace of God. 
All we want is salvation. All we want is a place with God. We don't care about the negotiated rate. And this is the message that Jesus drove home to his disciples. He said, you may have been here for a long time, and I know I negotiated with you, and I told you all of the things that I would give to you, but there are going to be some people coming way down in 2022 who wouldn't even care about this list. All they need is me. And it is my grace that I will give to whoever asks. I do not need you to decide on that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So it doesn't matter what time you come in to know the Lord, what time you started to work for him, what hour of the day he calls you. The important thing is to be called. The important thing is to respond to his call and make sure that your salvation is sure with him. And so, I want to touch on Revelation and on verse 14 and 15, where Jesus said to him, Why are you angry with It's my money to do what I want with. If I choose to show the same grace to all, why is that a problem for you? We agreed for a penny, and I paid you what you agreed for. Peter question is, okay, so the rich young ruler, he was rich, and you were willing to give him a transfer of account from earth to heaven. Because Jesus said, you know, if you follow me, you will have riches in heaven. So if you look at it, his account on earth is transferred to heaven already. He has riches in heaven. And Peter is saying, you know, I have left all and follow you. I know I'm poor. I only had a boat and a net and all of that. But it was all that I had. And I left that and follow you. And now you're promising someone who has come after that they will have reward in heaven, that their, their account is now transferred from earth to heaven. And the same promise that Jesus gave to the rich young ruler, he already gave it to Peter and John and James and all the disciples. But Peter says, what's in it for me? How much of the pie can I have? Can you see him doing things for the wrong reason? You know, we have to examine ourselves about what we are doing as Christians. Are we doing it because we love God, we want to serve him, or is it that we are doing it because we are asking God, what's in it for me? What will I receive if I sacrifice all to you? What's in it for me is a bad question for Christians. We need to just accept God's will and do the work that he sends us to do without 
question knowing that his grace is sufficient for all of us. And so, Romans 3 and verse 24 tells us, we are justified by his grace. And Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. It is a gift from God. And all we can say is thank you, Lord, for this gift of salvation. And thank you, Lord, that the wages are the same no matter what time I enter. He, God, is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I want to read um, something real quick that I think really sum up what's going on here. Um, it's from Christ's Object Lesson, and it says, this parable is a warning to all laborers, all of us laborers. However long their service, however abundant their labor, that without love to their brethren, without humility before God, they are nothing. There is no religion in the enthronement of self. He who makes self glorification his aim will find himself distribute of the grace, destitute of the grace, which alone can make him efficient in Christ's service. Whenever pride and self complacency are indulged, the work is marred. It is not the length, and I want us to really listen to this part. This is the part that really touched me. It says, it is not the length of time we labor, but our willingness and fidelity in the work that makes it acceptable to God in all our service. A full surrender of self is demanded. The smallest duty done in sincerity and self forgetfulness is more pleasing to God than the greatest work when mad with self-seeking. He looks to see how much of the spirit of Christ we cherish and how much of the likeness of Christ our work reveal. He rewards more the love and faithfulness in which we work than the amount of work we do. And I want to read that part again. He regards more the love and faithfulness with which we work than the amount of work we do. God wants us to get rid of self out of our lives. He wants us to know that he is a God who cares about all of us, and he wants to use us as co-laborers for him right now in his service. But we must get rid of self. We must get rid of anything that would hinder his work. He's not going to take it just because, you know, just whatever we give him. He is a God of great standards. 
and we have to be obedient to him. Today, Jesus, our farmer, who died for all of us, is making a call to us today. And the first call is for those who need to surrender their lives completely to him. Maybe for the first time. Maybe we have gone astray. And he's calling us back to him. He's calling laborers into his vineyard. There's still time today, brothers and sisters, to come to the Lord. He's still calling. Whatever you lack, Jesus wants to fill the lack in our lives. And the next call I want to make today on behalf of the farmer, the call is for those who have been here in Sabbath school every Sabbath. And we are leaders and we serve. We enjoy the service. We enjoy Sabbath school. We enjoy the fellowship of Christian experience. But like the young ruler, you say today with confidence, all these things I do weekly. What do I lack? And so Jesus is asking us to examine ourselves as he with the aid of the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today to look into our lives and see what is that lack. Don't go away like the rich young ruler when he shows you what it is. Go away sorrowful. I encourage us to be like Matthew and Peter and the others. When Jesus called, they obeyed. They didn't know what's going to happen, but they know that they can trust in Jesus. And the final call I want to make today is a call to Christian service. He's asking us to get up and do something. You know, we have been praying, and prayer is wonderful. We must pray. But Jesus never called his disciples to pray for three and a half years. Just pray. They were called to action. They did something about those who were sick. They preached the gospel. They shared. They, they turned um, fish and bread into feed thousands of people. They made a difference every day in the lives of others. We're not called just to come to church, fellowship, have a good time, be blessed, and go home. 
We are called to action. This church is called the Advent Movement, not the sit down and do nothing. It is a call to action. And I just want to encourage you of a place that we can start together, right here around our community. The fields are white and ready for harvest. We have been around this community several times, but I want you to know every time you go back, there is always a new set of people who have moved in, who have never heard. And the very fact that none of them are here means that we still need to go. It doesn't matter how many times we have gone before. They are not here, so it means that we still need to go. The fields are white and ready for harvest. We have embarked on a, an evangelistic effort called Steps to Christ Project. And we have signed up to have some Facebook ads run in a 10-mile radius around this church for the next seven or eight weeks. And we are praying to God that as people see these ads, they would click on them and ask for a Steps to Christ or a Bible study. That's the first thing. We need to pray about this, that God would allow people to click, click and ask for Bible study. But we want to go a little further. When those studies come, and when those names come that we have to go out and give those steps to Christ, we are needing actual feet moving one in front of the next to leave this place and go and give them. It's not enough to pray. We have to move into action. And so on the wall out there is a sign-up sheet. It said, if you want to sign up to distribute steps to Christ, do you want to sign up to be a Bible study um, student or other? There are a lot of other things that we have. A Bible study mentor, someone who would help and mentor people into the study of God's word. And my appeal to you today in this harvest, this 5 p.m., when it may be the last call of the master for us to go out and work in his vineyard, my appeal to you today is to take hold of this opportunity. You know, in Ukraine a few weeks ago, they, were, they had every opportunity. They could visit, they could share Jesus, they could do whatever. And just in an instant, it all changed. Now they're struggling, they're fighting for their lives, they're hiding in caves, they're, they're doing everything they can just to survive. And so now that we have the time, now that it's not a war-torn nation, now that everything seems right that we can go and share the love of Jesus, I want to encourage us today to please take this opportunity. This is my call to Garland Church. To 
sign up to be one of the workers in God's vineyard. May, you know, all the signs that tell that Jesus is coming are fulfilled except the spreading of the gospel to each person in the world. So can you imagine that God can use us today to fulfill that sign? He wants to. He wants to share this amazing grace with the rest of the world. We are enjoying it. We know that we don't deserve what Jesus gave us. Can we just share that to someone so that they too can experience God's amazing grace? If this, this is your desire, may we stand in commitment that we are going to do our part to finish God's work in his vineyard. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. You never just leave us out there. You just give us all the information we need for our salvation. We thank you for this story, Lord, this experience with this young man. It shows us, Lord, that you are a loving God and you give all of us choices. And we can choose to follow you or not. But we are here today because we have chosen you. But I know, Lord, like all of us, we have gone astray during the week. And so now we are asking ourselves again today, what is it that I lack today? May we not be resistant to when you point out to us, Lord, what is it that we lack? But may we just be obedient to your word. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you as Lord and Savior, that they will not put it off, but they will come to you right now before time be too late. I pray for Garland Church, Lord. We need to get into action for you. We need to go out into your vineyard. You're calling us, Lord. Please, I pray that we all respond and say, yes, Lord, we will go out this 5 p.m. hour into your vineyard to help finish the work so that we can eventually experience even more your amazing grace. Bless us and keep us faithful to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.